This is the Materials and Megabytes podcast. Today, we're delighted to have as our guest speaker Dr. Tura Blutman from Los Alamos National Laboratory. He's an expert in the computational physics of materials, complex fluids, and nonlinear dynamics. His recent work on materials design and informatics applies data science to the discovery of materials with new beneficial properties. An author of more than 250 publications, Dr. Lutman is also the recipient of the 2009 and 2017 Los Alamos National Laboratory's Fellows Prize for Outstanding Research. We're excited to hear from him. Please tell us how you got interested in using machine learning for material science. Um, you know, this was around 2010. There wasn't a lot of machine learning in materials or discussed so much as it is discussed now. Uh, and you know, I'm at a national lab, and so part of being at a national lab is they throw people from different backgrounds together and they tell them talk. And they figure out how to talk. So you know, machine—I mean, the people. You know, we have a big uh, you know, information science and technology, as well as uh, a computer science division. And I had colleagues who, some of whom have left now, who were into machine learning uh, at that time, and uh, they were into optimization. Uh, but of course, this is—you uh, know—I mean, these are fields that have been studied for a long, long time. These are not new fields. So clearly, people who are experts in those fields have been working in those fields. This is way, way before sort of—you uh, know—the way machine learning now uh, has created interest in material science. So at that time, uh, so we were at that time starting to think. And you know, in, in the in, being in a national lab, every year we are forced to think of new ideas. And we are forced to sort of write new proposals, so it was natural for us to start thinking about how we could combine machine learning and information sciences with material science. You know, and so we're also physicists, and so my colleagues work in physics as well as some of them were physicists. They now work in computer science, so it was natural for us to try to discuss and bridge these divides and learn from each other. So that's how I got interested in use. In, in machine learning to begin with, and then we started making proposals. Uh, another, uh, uh, you see, at that time there was very very little. I was organizing a meeting in functional materials, and in fact, uh, at that time I, I, I this, so this was about 2010, 11ish. Um, discovered some some things on combinatorial science uh, in materials that uh, Professor Krishna Rajan uh, had written. Uh, Uh, and so, you know, I'd invited him to come and talk about what he had been sort of thinking about and had written. Uh, so these were very early days, and so those were the sort of, uh, uh, you know, that, that was the background in which I got interested in use in, in machine learning. And of course, uh, the part of the challenge was to discover, use that to discover new materials. Uh, it was a natural question to ask, and it had not really been addressed. And uh, Uh, and so that's how I got interested in that in that problem. And so I started writing proposals. And the first time we wrote the proposal, the proposal didn't succeed. Uh, but what we were proposing was how we could use machine learning to find new, synthesize new materials. Uh, that at that time we had no idea how we would do it. Uh, but that's uh, in the second year the proposal got funded, and then I was able to have a a well-funded program for three years between 2013 and 15. And it's over that time that we really 
started to learn a lot about what machine learning was. Uh, my colleagues taught me a lot about uh, from, from computer science and other areas about what machine learning was. Uh, and then we started thinking of how we could use it in material science. So that's how I got into it uh, slowly. How do you use machine learning in your work? And what has machine learning enabled for your work that wasn't possible before? So the way that we use machine learning in our work is uh, is really as a means to uh, guide the next experiments or calculations. That, that really is the key element. Um, because, uh, you know, the way that people use machine learning is basically fitting data. You know, it's really a fit to data, and you fit the model. And, of course, there are various procedures to ensure that the model is a good model, which will generalize on data it hasn't seen. But that's the way that people are using it. So, you know, we've seen a lot of those kinds of talks as well in this in this um, MRS meeting as well. But uh, it's not been our aim. I mean, you know, that's one piece of uh, the procedure. So that's it, it, so. What that is doing is constructing a surrogate model. I could use a good physics model instead. I don't have to create one from data alone. Uh, so, so really, the key in our view is how do we use not just the machine learned model, but well, how do we use the machine learned model to guide the next experiment or calculation? In other words, how do we use the uncertainties that come out of the model? uncertainties in the measurements to guide as to what we should do next. And that's really the way that we use um, sort of machine learning and optimization. A lot of people sort of uh, call the second part, uh, which is a decision-making process, as kind of as it were an optimization step. But it really is, uh, you know, surrogate-based modeling is, is the way that I would put it. Machine learning is, a, is, a, is an element of it. Machine learning to me is just sort of taking data and fitting a model to the data. Uh, so we're doing something beyond that. We're just not merely doing that uh, because in my view, uh, you know, and from the results that I've shown, that's not necessarily, that can often be suboptimal. That procedure where all you do is fit the, the machine learned model to the data can be suboptimal because all you're doing is you're just sort of exploiting the model and you could be, you know, trying to get uh, the best prediction in a local minimum. So what you really need to do is to explore beyond uh, globally. Uh, what has uh, machine learning enabled um, us to do that was not possible before? Basically discover new materials. My experimental colleagues would never have been able to come, come up with the compositions of the compounds with better properties, uh, uh, you know, better thermal hysteresis, for example, for shape alloys or better electrostrains for, for piezoelectrics or better energy storage for piezoelectrics than we were able to. They would not have been able to do that. Uh, the search space is just too large for them to be able to nail down these compositions. What have been the biggest challenges of using machine learning methods for material science? Okay, so I would say that the, you know, the biggest challenge is deciding on the problem and how to articulate the right question that's conducive to using machine learning and design. So that is one of the challenges, I would say, okay? So, you know, formulating the right question is, is key uh, to how you're going to sort of do the design. Often, uh, you know, you if you don't formulate the right question, your search space can be very, very large. 
uh, and you would have to explore it uh, to a far greater degree than if you think of the problem in the right way and then gear your machine learning towards solving that problem so that your search space is much more manageable and you're searching within a fewer uh, a possible a list of fewer possible compounds than otherwise. Uh, the other challenge that we have, and it is a challenge that remains unsolved, is, uh, you know, I've, I've referred to this exploration and exploitation. Exploration means, you know, searching for better regions in the phase space where a possible candidate for the material, for the property you're looking at, you know, resides. Well, that means exploring. That means doing a lot of experiments. So what we need are a better robust criteria that tell us when we should stop. You know, right now we stop as soon as we find something better than what we had. Uh, that is often not so good because you don't know if there's something far, you know, better to be still found. Uh, I think it, so. One of the challenges we face is 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 when should we stop and how can we avoid excessive exploration, which is you know excessive costs. So that's you know the, so that really is a challenge. Uh, uh, initially. You know, the, the initial challenges when we got into the field was really sort of the communication between the machine learning people, material science people, and being on the same page and understanding each other well. And especially for the physicists and material scientists, being sort of, uh, you know, being aware of what are the machine learning capabilities that can be employed and what machine learning really does for you. So I would say that those were some of the challenges we had to overcome. What is an exciting problem in material science that machine learning has not been applied to that you'd like to see students work on? Well, um, you know, um, for example, the symposium is, uh, is called data-driven, uh, data-driven discovery, something to that effect. Uh, so the emphasis has been on data-driven, right? We're all learning from data. Uh, but um, I feel that data, you know, just learning from data, I do not find as exciting as uh, being able to use our physics knowledge. Now, most of us use our physics knowledge in this enterprise in formulating sort of, uh, you know, the features, what features we will use in our machine learning. So a lot of our, uh, our domain knowledge, materials knowledge is going in there. But wouldn't it be nice if we were to be if we were able to use um, physics-based models uh, that we already have, when you think of all the constitutive equations and relationships that have been written down for different materials classes, uh, the scaling rules or scaling laws, there's so function, you know, other functional forms, functional uh, that we have models like uh, you know, uh, we, uh, there are models that have functional relationships, you know the in other words, phenomenology. I don't mean uh, just doing DFT calculations, which is really like empirical, just run a code and you get a result, it's like doing an experiment. I don't mean that. I mean a theory, a model, uh, equations that relate quantities. Wouldn't it be nice if one could combine that, which is really knowledge, which constrains the search space with data, so you can do far better than data by itself? I think that is the next frontier, and uh, I would like, uh, you know, and these are things we are working on, so I would like to see more work being done by students and uh, others, of course, on 
that aspect, how can we incorporate knowledge in the form of physics-based models uh, to guide the discovery process? This we haven't been doing. There's very little that's being done along these lines. So, um, you know, so I think that's an exciting problem uh, to look at. Uh, um, that uh, that would be very very nice. And if we can, if we can, if we had examples, several examples where we could show, look. When I use a model, which is, you know, encoding, the model is encoding lots of physics already. I can discover something, you know, in a far better way and get far better properties than otherwise. You know, that's, that's I think, what, uh, that would be a very exciting uh, problem to do. What would you say is something machine learning theorists can do to advance interdisciplinary collaborations? First, let me speak uh, for my own case. Um, you know, um, it was very, very critical for me to really work with my experimental colleagues. I think the first thing that I learned is, no, what I already knew was not important. I needed to learn about the fundamental science and the way that my experimental colleague thinks about the problem. So, for example, uh, for ferroelectrics, piezoelectrics, I have uh, experimental colleagues who are very, very good, and they synthesize these materials. They go through all this, uh, you know, these uh, different reactions, solid-state reaction methods, you know, powder technology, where they take the material, they do all kinds of things. I needed to learn, I needed to know that inside out. I needed to talk to them. I needed to understand how it is that they use their intuition uh, to, uh, uh, to kind of, uh, how, how do they use their intuition to decide what to do next? Uh, so that was very, very important for me because it was that that uh, sort of uh, that, that sort of taught me as to how to think about what to do next uh, from a machine learning perspective, from a theoretical perspective. So I think that was so for me. That's you know something that I had to do in advance, and I make it a point to understand that uh, for each problem. Uh, so that then I can bring the theory and the information science together with the experimental in, in a highly seamless kind of fashion uh, before I embark on, on, on doing the problem itself. So this is, in fact, how I choose and select my problems to begin with. Uh, so this is also part of sort of selecting the appropriate problems. Uh, I need to work on problems uh, which, uh, you know, uh, seamlessly integrate those aspects. Uh, so I think uh, certainly machine learning theorists like myself need to do that first. I, and this is what I found to be very effective, certainly in my case. Likewise, what can material scientists do to advance the development of machine learning solutions to problems in their field? Oh, well, clearly this means that uh, material scientists have to get a little bit out of their comfort zone and become more aware and uh, uh, learn a bit more about some of the capabilities that uh, various machine learning tools and solutions offer. I think uh, being aware of, uh, of that is very, very important because uh, I think once one sort of appreciates, you know, hey, you know, these are the kinds of things that machine learning and optimization can sort of uh, do and can be used in other, and, 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 you know, looking at how they have been used in other fields is very, very 
uh, useful and informative as well. So I think um, that is something. So we, I mean, and that's a, you know, it's not an easy process because often the, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these uh, tools are not really those that one has studied in one's uh, sort of or has been. A lot of these tools have not been part of our sort of education. Uh, but uh, w- what we need to do is to sort of learn, you know, get out of our comfort zone and learn about those. Uh, certainly, talk to to colleagues who are experts in those areas. And I think uh, if we can do that, uh, then I think uh, certainly that helps. Uh, for example, I'll give you an example. You know, I became aware of a lot of stuff being done by excellent bioinformatics people in the area of cancer genomics. So there are a number of tools and techniques that uh, a lot of folks in signal processing and who work in genomics, uh, a lot of tools they use are related to aspects of Bayesian nets. So, for example, I mean, one of the things I've been talking about, I talked a little bit about here, is this whole business of utility functions as a means to sort of guide the decision-making process. You know, it's part of sort of decision theory. Well, I came came across a very nice sort of experimental design or utility function that has been used by folks who work in signal processing applied to cancer genomics data. And this relates to this whole business of mean objective cost of uncertainty. That's a very, very nice way of sort of minimizing the overall uncertainty in the whole process as a, as, as a way to sort of order what you should do next, rank what you should do next. So I only became aware of that just talking to these folks and learning about what they're doing. Uh, so I think uh, there's uh, enormous, uh, to be in, uh, enormous amount to be gained uh, in, uh, in, uh, by sort of uh, you know, learning about how other folks in other areas are using machine learning tools. Uh, to solve their problems uh, because they are being innovative. Uh, and, and in fact, that can help us to innovate even machine learning, new machine learning ideas within that come out of solving materials problems. Uh, just like these folks came up with this mean objective cost of uncertainty because they were working in cancer genomics. So I think, uh, you know, uh, there's uh, so there, there are many ways in which uh, there can be this sort of, uh, of very fruitful synergy between the machine learning folks, uh, folks in material science, and I mean folks doing theory as well as experiments. I think all of this needs to seamlessly integrate. I think the best science will be done when everything is seamlessly integrated. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Materials and Megabytes podcast. We look forward to having you join us again next time.